Well, we've made it through three weeks or two weeks of a conversation that's uh, got some of us ruffled and maybe a little uh, fearful. But um, as we've um, started walking through this, we, we've been talking about pornography. And so if you have a young person in the room under the age of 13 that is not ready for that conversation, then I want to invite you to send them on over to the children's ministry, um, to their appropriate class setting and opportunity. And so we're just going to be engaging in this conversation. Our first week was really to lay out the problem. Talk about how big it is in our society at the 90% level of people under 18, uh, people um, before 18 being exposed. Um, it's, I mean, 65% of a struggle for men in the church and 15% for women in the church. And just looking at that and seeing the brain chemistry of what it does and how that, how that, how all of those pieces in the brain work to, to form a solid bond in a marriage. Only now it's being leaked out to form solid bonds with paper and video and other, other kinds of weird mediums like that. And then last week we began to dive into children and look at how it's affecting children, what's going on and how we can begin to protect. In fact, third service, you may be in here today because you're going to our third service uh, seminar on how to protect your children and have, um, have some clarity on the devices to put involved in your home, those kind of pieces. And uh, hopefully you'll get some great stuff from Scott in that. And, but in the meantime, it's time to turn the corner. It's time to begin to talk about a solution side on, on the issue because we can talk about the problem and we can buy ourselves into fear and we can get ourselves into wanting to hide away our children, but what are we going to do to engage? How are we going to step forward to really begin to battle? But before I do that, really I need to clarify who I'm talking to. Because this morning, um, I really know there's kind of like three people in the, that I've dealt with, and, and there's, there's more, but three real main categories of people in this conversation. And the first one is primarily uh, the, the, the enjoyer. This person doesn't think anything's wrong with pornography, doesn't think anything's wrong with the ideas of pornography. They like it. They think it's innocent, blah, 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 they, you know, that kind of person. And we're not talking to those people today. We're, we're talking about the next category, which is the struggler. This person knows it's wrong. They don't want to be involved in it, but there's something about the temptation, something inside of their flesh, something engaged in who they are, that, that, that it becomes a, a struggle point for them. And the, it, the danger is that they want to give in or, or, they, or they don't want to give in. It's the wrestling match that finds itself with God in their life and the flesh in battle. And then there's a third category of people, and those are those of you who've been hurt by people who've either struggled or enjoy it. And for those, some of you, you're, you're, the, you're married or you're, you're a parent of somebody who has just dove into this stuff and it has harmed you. It has built fear, anxiety, it has built trauma, and you, you hate it, you hate them in some ways, and you're wrestling through that mess. We need to look at these three kind of categories today because all three of them need Jesus. But only two of them we can discuss. And we're going to talk through this. We're going to talk through the struggler and we're going to talk through the, um, the hurt. And I got to do this quickly. This is a lot of information. So this is going to kind of come baldly. It's like, hey, welcome to your seminar on Sunday morning today. And we're going to just dive in, look at what the scriptures has to say. As I lay out kind of a four-part movement that, that really begins to lay out a, a way to fight, a way to battle. But you have to be in the mindset that you want to. You have to be willing to acknowledge that you need to or that you are ready to write this down to help somebody who is in your life to begin to move through this. So we'll start with the struggler. And the struggler is somebody who, who needs to begin the journey first. The reason I'm starting with them is you got to be the first in. You cannot wait to be exposed by somebody else. You cannot wait for somebody to find it on you, your wife or your children, because that's a damage you don't want to bring. 
That's something you don't want into your life. You don't want some friend to stumble across it and you become a tempter on top of everything else. No, we want to make sure that if you are in the position where you have moved from enjoyment to suddenly realizing in this series that I've got to do something about this, I've got to do something about this fight, or you know your children is, then we're going to start here with the struggler. And it begins in the four-part movement with the first one of exposing the darkness. Exposing the darkness, bringing it into the light. Those things that are brought into the light really begin to shine. And what we're talking about is the first step in what we're going to call repentance. And then the second part we're going to talk about as sanctification. We're going to kind of build on those two concepts because they come from an interesting story in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 19, Paul has entered into a particular city in the ancient world. It's in modern day Turkey and was called Ephesus. As he came into town, he met some people who had actually um, never heard about Jesus yet, but they'd been baptized in, in the baptism of John the Baptist. And so he tells them about Christ. They receive Christ. This, this kind of church is birthed suddenly in the middle of Ephesus and begins to grow exponentially. People are hearing about it. They're excited. But Ephesus is a bit of a different town. It's a town filled with the magical arts. And magical arts is not like they had Harry Potter there. Not that kind of magical arts. They weren't like luminous, you know, not that kind of stuff. Latin was the normal language, not the magical language. What was going on was that they were involved in using scrolls, amulets, and trinkets to control the gods, fate, and the demons. Very real realities to them where they, when they felt a stress, when they needed a job, when they were engaged in something that was going to cause them problems, they would likely go down to the local shop, pick up a nice amulet, pick up a nice scroll, do a nice curse, throw it in a well to ensure that they had the, uh, the one up on the other person because they had better do it because the other person might be doing it to them. And so it was an entire power play to control their frustrations with life. In the middle of all this, extraordinary miracles begin to occur from Paul. And, and it's funny because the scriptures call them extraordinary. That's like, you thought miracles are weird. This goes to another level. Things like he's sitting there and he takes a sweat cloth and hands it to somebody and goes, take that, it'll heal them. I'm too busy dealing with something else. And people are healed by these overly extraordinary, miraculous events. And what God was doing was breaking down their magical concept. He was bringing about a crisis in the culture. And it all hit the head when seven famous exorcist guys named the seven sons of Sceva march into a house. They're going to cast out a demon, a demon out of a demon-possessed man. And as they gather around, start their ritual antics, they begin to use the name of Jesus as a, one of the great names amongst the names that they're going to use. And as they're using Jesus, the demon goes, what? <laughs> Paul I know, and Jesus I definitely know, but who are you blokes? At that point, suddenly the, de the demonized man rises up, beats the seven men up, strips them naked, and kicks them out of the house where they go screaming down the street. The story begins to spread about the name of Jesus, that you don't just use this as one of the many gods. He is the God. And inside the church, something begins to shift. They begin to realize these amulets and these scrolls and these different things, these magical practices, these rituals of cutting chickens' necks and pouring out their blood, all that kind of stuff that they were engaged with was not leading them in a good direction. And so suddenly something breaks out in the church. In Acts chapter 19, we see it. Also, many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced the magic arts brought their books together. Suddenly here, there's a giant overall confession. And they're saying, wow, we're, we're, we've done these magic arts. And they take these books, these scrolls. They're not like books like this, but scrolls. And they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came out to 50,000 pieces of silver. This is a huge investment. 
says hundreds of thousands of dollars on a, on just thrown into a pile saying, we need to get this out of our lives. Though the culture says this is normal. Though the culture says this is a great way to relieve stress. Though the culture says this is a great way to get ahead. The culture says this is a normal deal. We're saying no, and we're throwing it on the, on the fire because of a crisis. I don't know if you've noticed in the news lately, there seems to be a cultural crisis considering sexuality. Anybody seen it? Doesn't seem to be in every power playing place you can imagine. And we didn't plan it that way. And God just wanted to show that up, I guess. But, but here's the point. God is about to bring it into the church if we're not careful. You're now going to start seeing pastors accused. You're going to see ministers accused. That's always happened. But now we'll be more public because it's on top of all these other things. Anywhere that there's power, you're going to find it coming out. And the enemy would love to do that. But here's the response that Olive Branch should have. Looking at a cultural crisis, examining what's going on, we ought to be like the Ephesian church, ready to be bold, ready to move forward and begin the repentance process on our own. And so that's what we're talking about today. For our children's sake, for our sake, and if you're a struggler, for your sake. That you can begin to divulge this, to expose this darkness as the first step of what they did. They confessed and showed it off. Now, why is this important for you? It's important for anybody who struggles for one reason. Imagine the table here has three legs instead of one center stool. And these three legs would spray out and it would be standing up. If you can break one of the legs, the table falls. And these three legs are examples of what they would say the habit and the addiction of pornography sit upon. Those three things are, are, are namely anonymity, meaning that you're privately doing this. You've got your little phone and you can hide in your room. Or you've got your computer and it's sitting in the office and nobody can see what you're doing. And it's now privatized. Second is affordable. The majority of people engage in pornography for free. They don't pay for it. Until they're far gone in a new direction. The enjoyers, they'll pay for it. But most people do it because they're hiding it. And thirdly, it needs to be accessible. And now with phones and internet and stuff, it's widely, so widely accessible, it's hard to limit it. It's hunting us out. With these three sprayed legs, what we need to do is we need to break them. We need to knock them down so that this cannot stand anymore. And the first and the easiest low-hanging fruit opportunity that you and I have is to break the leg of an anonymity. Where we come out and we cease hiding and we say, this is what I'm doing. I'm struggling. Right there, if you're struggling, your stomach just turned into a knot. And the reason why is because this is the one place the enemy wants you to stay hidden. He doesn't want you to bring it out. He's bringing up shame. He's bringing up fear. He's bringing up guilt in your heart. He's making you feel like, I can't talk about this. I'm going to lose this relationship. I can't talk about this. This is going to destroy my ministry. I can't talk about this. This is going to, you name it. And the enemy wants to keep you quiet because he knows if he can keep these legs strong, sin will reign in your life. And it will begin to eat things away that you never wanted it to. And so confession is the first step. It's always the first step. And the easiest and the most simple step forward is to confess to God. First John chapter 1, verse 9. Many Christians know this one. And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I want to encourage you with this because the first step in your divulging to God is to just acknowledge to God, God, I'm struggling with this. And he goes, yeah, I know, because he's been there the whole time with you. There's no hiding from God. There's no anonymity. And so he says, I see this. Now confess it to me. I can cleanse you. See, the work on the cross, Jesus Christ was able to remove our, the judgment of our sins so that we can have a relationship with God. He gets us right with him again. But if you don't have a right relationship with God, you need the power of God, but it's your sin that keeps you from being able to know God and you will know lies and you will confuse yourself. But unless you've acknowledged your sin and humbled yourself 
and being able to say, yes, this is where I'm struggling. There is no bridge to the power of God except through what Jesus did on the cross to bear that sin and to unite us with God. And I want to encourage you that that's where you begin. You start with that. That confession divulges, it releases, it enables us to be connected with God. But then there's not healing. Why? Because guess what? We can all sneak into our closets and confess to God and still be all alone. Isn't that true? It can, he can become an excuse for our sin. Well, I confessed it to God. Nobody needs to know. You're still locked in. And so it's no wonder that Jesus' brother James said it in his letter. He said, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be, say this word with me, healed. Say it again, healed. One of the reasons many men and women who struggle with pornography and struggle with these kind of situations are not well is because they're hiding. You cannot be healed if you're not willing to bring it into the light. We think we can do this on our own. We are John Wayne in the military pursuit of doing whatever we need to do against this. No, you need to bring it out. You need to expose it. It has to be confessed. And this means that we have to get into connection with others to bring it into the light. It is a horrific, frightening thing. And that's why, first of all, it's horrific and frightening to two people. To you as the confessor and to the one that thinks you're going to confess to them. If you're married, that's your spouse. And I want to just advise first you confess to a stronger spiritual person than you. And this is why, because if they're, they're going to lead you and call you to account. They're going to try to hold you up and lift you up. And it's got to be somebody who has the time and you know them and you're connected with them. Your spouse can't be that person that's going to, we'll see, it can become one of the most injurious, damaging conversations you can ever have. It's necessary at a point. And you'll know when that needs to happen, but it cannot be the first in. There needs to eventually come a place where you divulge and you confess and, they, and that is the step forward. But at first, the first confession, I believe, ought to be to somebody who is able to hold you to account and lift you up. And that's why the next part is important. Once you've brought it into the light, the next step for the struggler and the next step for, for all, all of the people that we want to help out is to destroy the opportunities for sin. Why, why keep yourself in the presence of this stuff? That's what these people were saying. They're like, we've got all these magic rights. We want to stop using them. Well, I'll just put them on the shelf just in case I go back on, on Jesus here. No, they had to take them, get rid of them, get them out of the house, rid themselves of these things, destroy them. They were not going to let it possess their soul. No matter what the culture brought into their home, they were like, we're not doing this. This is the same thing for people who struggle with alcohol, people who struggle with drug addictions. You don't tell the alcoholic, hey, yeah, we're going to this bar. You want to come? You don't invite them to certain locations that can be so damaging to their soul. We don't offer them opportunities that are going to harm them. No, what we do is we help destroy opportunities for sin. And if you're the struggler, you need to be the first in here as well, attacking this with energy. Jesus put it this way. After he said, when you look at a woman with lust in your eye um, and you've committed adultery in your heart, he then goes, so if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Better to limp in life than run sprinting into hell. Better to make sure that you're limping. And what I mean by limping is putting up those boundaries for yourself. Maybe you have got a collection in your home. Get rid of it. Burn it, shred it, destroy it. Get rid of that computer that may be so possessed with that junk that you need to just throw it out and get a new one. You need to put filter systems on there. You need to have accountability systems put in because what you need to be able to do is have somebody always watching that anonymity. You need to have it there. You need to break the leg of accessibility. Put on some kind of filter system that keeps you from doing it. 
So you get a distance. What you're doing is you're telling yourself, it's right here. No, I need distance so I can heal. I need distance so I can grow in victory, so I can begin to change habits and begin to press into Christ. And you need to push these things out. It may mean that you need a support group. And guess what? Olive Branch offers support groups. We have a safe harbor group that is actually focused on this conversation. Many of the men who meet there are, are trying to fight through this. And there is a group of, of women who gather who have been hurt. And they're talking through their hurt. And these two groups are meeting regularly through our safe harbor, which is available. Some of you may have gone beyond pornography and it's moved into a sex addiction. It may have moved into other problems like with prostitution and things like that. And the danger that you're involved in is that you, you are in a deeper weeds. You're going to need a, a group that understands that and is willing to listen without judgment and help you out. Essay is available. There's different things. That card that's in your bulletin is, again, a resource tool for you. That if you're sitting there in a desperate situation and you need something from an organization to a support group, they're available. And you can look them up. And you can grab them and, and call out to them. Because we need this kind of accountability and support. We need this kind of stuff because am I calling you guys to go 90 days? You need to get 90 days away from this to reset the brain and to begin to rewire patterns. You are fighting against a rut that's been driven into your head no matter how long it's been. You can, through Christ, begin to overcome these things. And you need to know that in Christ, he is there to change and to redirect all of that thinking towards the right locations, either in abstinence and running after him or in ability to focus on your marriage after you've gotten a subsequent healing process down. Now, all this leads to this repentance model where you're saying, I've put this stuff out there and I've destroyed it and I put the limits around me. I'm not going to let it continue to, to possess my life. But that's not enough. You can't just stop something without turning to start something. That's why sanctification comes after repentance. Transformation occurs after you're removed. Jesus wants to do something. And the first step in sanctification sounds weird. The first step in this growth is actually to get to know yourself. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all else. It's interesting that Jeremiah the prophet is saying this as he's telling Israel, hey guys, you're struggling with idols, but you don't see it because you are deceiving yourself. If you think you've got it figured out, you're probably lying to yourself. When you look inside, the person we are most blind to is often our own motivations. How often do we step into something thinking one thing and knowing our hearts are telling us to do something else? How often do we feel the resistance of the Holy Spirit to our actions and yet we continue to pursue our desires because we don't know ourselves. We don't know what's causing our temptation. We don't know what's driving us forward. In fact, Paul in his conversation of application of the gospel says in Romans chapter 12 verse 3, he says, listen guys, in his letter, he says, the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. When you think about yourself, are you thinking with sober judgment? judgment? Do you understand yourself well enough to examine your own heart, know your own motivations, understand your own temptations? And I think the problem is most of us haven't gone there. Most men especially haven't gone there. We haven't engaged in the depth of who we are and what's going on because we have a, we have a couple things uh, against us here as we get to know ourselves. And first of all is that um, we're, we're told as men that, hey, you know, there's, there's, no, there's nothing really to see here. You're either angry, you're stressed, or you're afraid. One of those three. Maybe not fear, but, hey, I'm mad, I'm frustrated, or, you know, I'm really fearful, I'm stressed. You know, that, these are the kind of things I hear from guys. We don't get into the involvement of realizing that we have triggers that lead to temptation. 
that there are things that the devil is using and the world is using that is kind of pulling it out of us. I may feel incompetent or I may feel insecure, but I'm not going to say that. Yeah, honey, I'm feeling really insecure today. Insecure people don't say that. They want to be secure. Incompetent people don't go, man, boss, I really don't know how to do this. I feel really incompetent right now. We don't want to expose ourselves in these manners. And so when we feel in certain ways, we mask it with another feeling called frustration or anger. That's how men are. We're either mad, hungry, or stressed. That's it. Underneath is a whole layer of examination, though, that we need to look at because we need to know ourselves. We need to know what's causing the triggers, what's leading us into temptation. Because here's the thing. It's not just the world and it's not just the devil. Yes, the devil tempts and yes, the world will bring temptation. But wherever you go, whatever culture you land in, whether you lock yourself away in a monastery or find yourself in the middle of Hollywood, your heart and your flesh go with you. It's no wonder James told us, listen, that temptation comes from inside. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. This is important to note. You've got to understand your temptation. Guess what? The devil doesn't tempt me to kill people. Because this is not a temptation. Most of us in here, hopefully all of us in here, it's not a temptation. Hey, you want to kill that guy? Not really. I want to be angry, but it's not, it's not a motivation. But when your own desire comes up and you want to be proud about the fact that you don't struggle with this, that's a temptation. When you want to be unforgiving and bitter about something because they deserve it, that's a temptation. As much as the temptation of like, I really want to lust right now is a temptation. I want to look at that. So there's a picture there. I I don't want to look away. Do I click? Do I not click? All of this is a temptation. And we need to understand that that temptation is coming from within. So by getting to know yourself, getting to know your triggers, they call them, or getting to know the patterns of your life, if it's a certain hour of the day, a certain time of the month, a certain time period in the week, whatever it is, you need to understand yourself well enough to have unearthed these situations so that you know you're prone to temptation. And then when the temptation comes, you can back out a bit and attack it because guess what? You're never alone in temptation. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, people who struggled with sexual temptation all the time. And he said, no temptation is overtaking you. That's not common to man. First of all, you're not alone in your temptation. It's common. Second, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Here's the problem. Many of us don't realize God's giving you a way of escape because the second the temptation comes, the second we go, got it. There's like a millisecond between temptation and action because we don't step back and realize who we are. An examination of yourself, an examination of your motivations, an examination of who you are, examination of your triggers, your patterns of behavior, and all of the things that lead you into that. It gives you a distance to go, hold on, time out, what am I doing? God, where are you? I know there's an out here. Show me. And oftentimes temptation will become something that leads you away. As you get stronger, you'll go like, wow, I'm being tempted. This obviously means I want to get closer to God today. And you'll end up praying. You'll end up spending time with God. And where you might have wasted an hour hunting around or longer, you end up spending 30 minutes, 45 minutes with God, renewing your soul. And so this begins to show us what's going on. But guess what? It's hard and it's virtually impossible to do alone. I advise counseling in this area. When it's trying to get to know yourself, I advise you to find a Christian counselor. We have a a counseling team here that is able to do this. Now, 
Some of you guys are uh, kind of been trained to be opposed to counseling. I understand that. But I want to just tell you how I understand what counseling does. It is like a mirror. These people have studied human patterns of behavior and they've looked over the scenario and the struggles of people and they're able to go, you know, you're fitting this, this model of behavior that we've examined. I want you to know that so that you can begin to practice these things. And a good Christian counselor is going to lead you back to the word of God. Now, you may have a counselor who exposes these things to you. You see who you are. That's not enough. It never heals you. You have to be active. And you have to be active in the right way. You have to be active in actually following Jesus Christ. And that's the fourth movement. Once you've exposed it, once you've destroyed the opportunities, now that you're getting to know yourself, you run with this information to Christ. You run with this information to the word of God. You run with this information so that he begins to transform who you are, not you. You can work your tail off on this stuff and not produce much fruit. But with Christ and his word, it begins to change us. But before we go any further about running after Christ, I got two warnings for you. And this is for both the struggler and for somebody who is hurting because you're going to get to this place where you need to follow Christ with abandon. But the danger is, uh, number one, is that if you're struggling and you come out, it's not going to be pretty in your marriage if you're married. It's not going to be pretty with your family for a while. It's going to be scary to your parents. It's going to be frightening, but it's still necessary. And in that time period and in that mess, you're going to want to give this stuff up for the sake of fixing the relationship. That is not a good motivation to fight. Because a lot of people who are single think that if I, when I get married, this will be over. No, it won't. And guess what? Married people have this problem before they're married and even after they're married. Meaning once their spouse has died or a divorce comes in, it's still there because it's in you. And you, ha- you can't do this to save the relationship. You must fight because you love Jesus Christ. You must fight because he is your God and he's called you to a holy living. And you want to live up to the potential that God has for you. And this is limiting you. It's shackled you. It's holding you back. And it's put a mask on your face so that you cannot do what God has called you to do. And we need to get freedom by living for that purpose, not simply for a marriage. Second, The other danger is this. You're going to come, you're going to confess, you're going to destroy this stuff, you're going to be looking at yourself and you're going to get caught in a danger because the enemy is going to go, oh, you're doing awesome, you're doing awesome. Why would he be cheering you on? Because what he wants to do is go, oh, now just remember to keep your eyes on that. Keep focusing on it. If you look away, if you stop looking at the sin, if you stop fighting it, it, you're going to get taken over by it. Just keep looking at it. Guess what? That is a lie and a danger. If you only focus on the sin... In your battle, it will eat you alive. Because where you look is where you wind up. That's why I'm not calling you to just simply sit there. I'm calling you to confess it, destroy it, think about who you are and see who God has made you, and then run after Christ with abandon. Because it's in your focus of putting your eyes on the things of heaven. It's your focus of putting your eyes on Jesus Christ. It's your focus on putting your eyes on the word of God that begins to change the mind and transform it. Yes, this is there, but it has been re- you've been redeemed and it's been destroyed on the cross. And you need to remind yourself of the truths of scripture because it's not on you to run the race. It's on Christ in you to run the race. That's why you can't do this alone because you will wind up focusing on it and you may go through success and dips and things like that and everybody will go through times of relapse and frustration because we're sinners until this body is transformed. 
But right now we need to focus on Christ. And so I'm going to rip through these real quick because it's very simple. Whether you're in the position of being hurt or whether you've been in the position of struggling, it's the same three things. You need to love Christ, live for Christ, and share Christ. Well, that's convenient, Greg. Yeah, it is. It's discipleship. Guys, you need to love Christ and get into his word. Allow it to soak into your mind. Allow Romans 12 to actually take over where you're not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind. Those ruts can, go, can begin to be disabled. You can build new concepts and new focus. And that means reading the word. Let it float through your mind. Think about it. Meditate on it. Listen to it. Put it in your head. Think how many hours you've given away to looking at garbage compared to putting truth and God's ways into your mind, what it does to you. It changes the way you approach people. It changes the way that you care for, care for others. And you begin to engage in a different manner. Second, you become a prayer warrior. I'll tell you what, if you're a struggler, I guarantee you struggle in prayer. Not all of them do, but the majority of the men that I've met who struggle in this category of pornography and some of the women who have struggled in this are horrible at prayer. You know why? Because we're horrible at intimacy. Intimacy is to an object, not to a person. And you start to treat God as an object instead of as a person responding back. And when you, don't, when you do enter into prayer, you enter into prayer as if he's your cosmic jukebox to give you what you want when you put the quarter in instead of being the God who speaks and talks with you and is intimate with you. And I want to challenge you that you need to love Christ in such a manner that you grow your spiritual life in prayer so that he is there and present with you so that it becomes a palatable, vibrant, living, thing, living reality where God is with you not just an activity. Second, though, you need to have memorized scripture. You need to have it in your life. In fact, this is what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. It says, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, So you're the Son of God, huh? Well, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, oh, so you're the son of God, huh? Well, throw yourself down for it's written. He'll command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they'll bear you up unless you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then a third time happens, and again, Jesus quotes scripture. And what's important here is that Jesus isn't in a time period where he's standing around, the devil's temptation comes to him and goes, hold on a second, let me pull out my, um, my iPhone and open up my Bible app. Oh, I underlined this two years ago. Yeah, I, you shouldn't test the Lord your God. Got it, that's awesome. He didn't have a bound Bible to pull out. A mini New Testament. No, no, no. He didn't have that. He couldn't carry the scrolls with him. Let's be honest. He would have been carrying a backpack full of scrolls just for the Old Testament. No, Jesus had memorized this. He put it into his soul so that it was able to be brought out as the sword of the Spirit, the Spirit of God's own sword to battle for you. And the scripture came to his mind. Guys, it's not just for children's ministry, is it? Memorizing the word of God is one of your most powerful weapons as you begin to fight in either side, fighting the lies of the enemy and the temptations that come. And so we need to know the word of God, love God with this, and then we need to start living in selfless habits. Living by giving yourself away and serving other people in the ministry God has for you. Some of us are struggling because we are so selfish. We're on the consumer end of life instead of becoming those who give. And God granted you gifts so that you can become a giver. So you can become a servant of others. 
So you can enter into small groups and begin to discuss and get the support you need and care about yourself by caring about others. By giving yourself away, even by tithing, even by giving, what you do is you're putting yourself in utter dependence upon God. And it's a symbol every single week or every time we give in any capacity that God, it's not about me, it's about me giving myself away as you gave yourself away on the cross. And this kind of living for Christ and giving yourself away and sharing about Christ humbles us and puts us in the right mentality that it's not about our selfish desires. It's about the mission God has us on. It's the same vision we give to our children as the vision we need to live for ourselves. God has something for you to do. Live it out. And so let's just close the book really quickly on those who are struggling and open the door now in a different direction. And I know I'm speaking to a group of of people in this room who've been hurt by those who struggle with pornography or have enjoyed it. And so I've had letters over the last couple of weeks from you. And so I want to let you know I can't cover it all. And I want to point you to a couple of resources. First of all is our, our Safe Harbor group has a women's group that meets and talks about the pains and the suffering because you're facing it as trauma. All the, all the evidence says when you experience this, when somebody experiences this kind of betrayal, it comes as trauma. It breaks down your safety mechanisms and your ability to trust. And so there's a few books that are out there. One of them is this one by the Stokers, uh, Every Heart Restored. It's part of the Every Man's Battle series, but it's for the, for the ladies. And it's, it's, it's a wife's guide to healing. Now, you may be a man who's been injured in your marriage or you may not be married and you've been injured. This this applies to you as well. But because the dominant, um, in the dominance of the culture, percentage-wise, it's married women who have been harmed, I'm going to speak to you. But I want you to hear it. That there is a four-movement stepping in the scriptures and all of them are based in the same things we just looked at. But before I begin, I want to challenge you to something because this is painful. Some of you are angry. Some of you feel guilty. Some of you have turned yourself into a sexual toy for your husband's fantasies. And you feel devalued. And you don't know what to do with that. And so I want to give you an opportunity to understand that whatever you're doing as a Christian is, can be powerful to see that husband or that loved one grow stronger. And it's based on the Galatians passage here in Galatians chapter 6. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Note number one, you are not the spiritual one to restore your husband. Somebody must be spiritual. They need to be stronger, more spiritually than them. You may be more stronger spiritually, but in this, you are weak. Because I guarantee you are hurt. You want a male to help them restore. Somebody who's walked forward and made this. If it's a female, you want a female who is stronger to walk forward with her. But the point is, don't put that on yourself that you have to heal and make them right. That is not what you're out to do. That's the devil's attempt to put a weight on you that doesn't belong. Now, keep watch yourself lest you be tempted. But verse 2 does apply. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As much as we all bear one another's burdens together, it lightens the load. And I'll explain how you do this. And it actually doesn't kill you. It doesn't hurt you. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, then he deceives himself. Examine your heart. Let each of us test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have his own load to bear. Now this is the final point. There's a load that the struggler has to bear that is not yours, but there's a part we can play to bear the load together and create actually an environment where you're both healing and you're both getting stronger. And here's how it begins. First and foremost, you need to jump in and help destroy opportunities to sin. How do you do that? Ladies, if this is you, you draw a hard boundary. (laughs) 
You say, this is it. And if it happens again, this is what will happen. And you draw that line of expectation. What you're doing is you're quickly taking the line of affordability and you're cracking that leg. Because you're saying, you want to know the price? It ain't free. This is the line and it's not going any further. And however you've made that, that line, you've drawn it hard in the sand and you don't change it. You draw a boundary. Because you need to express distance. Some of you need to get distance sexually. And it's going to be a time where you abstain. Some of you need distance physically because it's going to be dangerous and you need to get, maybe they go out of the room. Maybe there's a a distance in the home. There's going to be emotional distance and that distance needs to be communicated and explained and you need to explain what needs to be done for those things, for that trust to be rebuilt. We'll get into more of that next week. But the point is that you need to draw hard and clear boundaries with clear expectations and clear consequences. When you do that, not only are you giving yourself the space to be free and heal, You're helping them see the cost and understanding the weight of what's going on. You are destroying one of the things that helps the opportunities of sin. And so we want to work with grace in this, but that's one of the most fundamental beginnings that you need to do. And then you need to expect honesty. You need to to at least hear in not detail sense, but in broad outline senses what they've been involved in. Because if it's involved other people, you need to go to a doctor and get yourself checked. Because if they've brought in other people into your life, sexually transmitted diseases have just drove into your home. This is why you need to be sexually abstinent and you need to distance yourself for a time. This is not stuff we goof around with. So if you're in that position, you need to consider how to make sure that you're safe with the right boundaries. And when you do that, don't think of it as like, I'm hurting, oh, I'm hurting him. No, you're actually helping. You're, just, you're showing this is what it is and I care about myself. If you struggle drawing boundaries, if you have codependent issues, you need a counselor, go talk to them. Get a good friend who's stronger than you in this area, can draw boundaries and let them encourage you to hold that line and keep it there. That's the first thing as you begin to help destroy opportunities for sin. Make sure it's destroyed, all the stuff. Get the filters on. Be a part of that journey. Hold the passwords. Don't give the access. You can do all kinds of great things to help your family to heal by building the right boundaries and distances. Second thing, as you begin to get this, is you get to know yourself. Notice I skipped the first movement, but we'll get back to that in a second. You need to get to know yourself because it's trauma. And trauma does weird things to people. You may not understand why you can't go to the grocery store. But you get panic attacks when you walk down the aisle because magazines are in the rack. You may not understand why a certain town suddenly gives you a heart palpitation because you forgot it was associated to an event that has harmed you. There may be a number of different ways that the trauma is triggering your, your fear and anxiety. And that's a huge problem. You need to indicate those. You need to write those down. You need help to get through those. That's, again, why we have the counseling group. They're available out of the Connections Central. They will be there for you. They're ready to talk through and, and help you connect and grow. But trauma is a huge deal, and you need to work through those things to where you can stand firm in Christ, who is your God and your Father, who loves you and upholds you no matter the circumstance you're in. And that takes work to deal through the trauma. But then you need to understand also in yourself, and this is especially true for ladies, what I call value displacement. Value displacement occurs when suddenly in this you begin to wonder, why am I not enough? What did I do that 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 he needs this and I'm not good enough? Because who you are in your image and your value is, is wrapped together as a woman. And oftentimes it can be displaced onto your husband. You see, whether you're married or not, you're still as valuable as every other woman on the planet. 
whether you're sexy, beautiful, or however you view yourself. See, the problem is that women have a value displacement naturally in our culture, as do men. But yours has been dominated by a visual image that has been created by a sexual nature of culture. And I want to tell you something. Culture cannot give you nor take away your value. Your husband cannot give you nor take away your value. There's only one who has ever granted you your value, and that is your maker, who made you in his image and showed you your value when he died upon the cross to bear your sins and say, my life for yours, that's how much you're valuable. But let's be honest, that's the truth, and it's hard to apprehend it. And that's where the counseling and understanding, where are you putting your value? Where are you receiving your value from? Because it can be sinful as well. Or you start to long for your value from men could lead you into sexual sin. Or you could long for it from your culture could lead you to acting out in ways that you never thought you would because of the harm of the trauma that's going on. You need a counselor and you need a good community of, of helpers around you and loved ones who are able to show you and remind you your value is placed in Christ and Christ alone. And then you can begin that journey forward. But that's why because of the dangers, you need to be willing to expose the darkness in your own self. Expose your own darkness. What I mean by that is, you know what? Some of you are so angry, you're bitter. And that needs to be dealt with with Christ. Or you're standing there going, I am so glad I am not like that sinner. I think Jesus had a parable about that guy. And it didn't turn out well for him. At the same time, we may be accusatory and not realizing our own sins are just piling up behind us. And we've not seen the log in our own eyes. There's a point at which someone else's sin reveals your own. Because guess what? Two sinners always get married. When, two, when there's a marriage, there are two sinners. And they connect. And it gets ugly. And when this is here, it will expose not only their heart, but your own heart. And it's in that to be honest and to allow God to be the one healing you and working through your sins and not to assume that you're better. No, we all go to God on the same playing field with the same need of Jesus Christ, with the same need of his blood to break all of our chains, be them lust or pride, bitterness or anger. We all need the same thing. And so I want you to consider that and allow that in and, and consider that Galatians warns you, keep watch of yourself lest you yourself be tempted too. It's easy to be tempted in the middle of this stuff. And so watch your own heart, learn your own triggers, know your own struggles, know your own things, and then follow Christ with abandon in the same way to love, live, and share him. And it will come to a point where as you're pursuing Christ and you're after him and you have your boundaries and you're having some success, you're dealing with your traumas, you're allowing the word of God to train you, you're learning your intimacy and your value from Christ, there's going to be these moments where the sin's going to rise up again. It's going to happen again. It's going to be problems. And what do you do? We'll talk about the war next week as it's a longer journey than just one time through this process. But this long journey can lead you to wondering the question Peter asked. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Does it mean seven times? How many times do I have to forgive this? And Jesus tells him, listen, it's 70 times seven. As many times as it takes. He's saying, what? Forgive this thing again and again and again? That sounds like I'm harming myself. Time out. Go back to the verses series. And I want you to listen to the section on reconciliation again. Forgiveness is you releasing God to be the judge. You are not to fix or heal. This is a sin against them to God. Yes, it affects you. But your relationship is with God. And you need to let God be the God. And you need to release them and forgive. But that doesn't mean you trust. 
Trust and forgiveness are different things. And trust is earned over time in a different manner that we will talk about next week. So just because you've forgiven from your heart and you've released your right to judge does not mean there isn't now time to heal and time to build trust. And that's the stage that I hope we can get to because you can see your marriage grow to places you never thought it would be. You can see your friendships grow to places you never thought they could be. You could have victory where you never thought you could. And I want to encourage you to get into this place. And it begins as the Ephesian church began, and that is with forgiveness and confession. This trauma is hard on both sides. And I want you to remember that many of these men and women who entered into this addiction and struggle never looked for it. They were the part of the 90% of kids who were exposed before 18, before their brains could handle or even decide, this is something I need to not have in my life. And from there, we can begin to have compassion on each other. But it begins also with a rite of confession. And I want to encourage us to begin that. On your seats was a card. And you may have tossed that card. You may be sitting on that card. And it may now be shaped differently. But I want you to pull it out and take a look at it. It's just a simple card. It's just a way of you connecting with God and saying, I confess something today. And so that we can be praying over the congregation and know what we can need to be offering. We need to be offering seminars and more of this stuff. This helps us get information and help without you having to disclose yourself by going like, yeah, I struggle and stand up now. No, we're not going to do that. But you know what? You may be struggling with pornography. You may be a female struggling with pornography and feel like that is a horrible shame. And okay, nobody wants to. You may need to just confess that to God. And you're saying, that's me. And if you're looking for help, you, you can even put your uh, way of contact. And we'll get it to the, the Safe Harbor team that, that cares about this situation and knows how to walk you through. But you know what? You may be struggling at being judgmental. You may be looking at something like, oh, I'm a sinner. And, I'm, and your pride has got you. And there's an opportunity for you to just say, you know, I need to let that go. Or maybe you've just been negligent. You're one of the parents who just let it happen. You may have, have grown up kids nowadays and they're wrestling with this stuff because you thought it was no big deal. In fact, you may find your, some of us may find ourselves on that bottom line where we've tempted others. We bought them the magazines. We took them to that bar or whatever it is. But I want you to be able to stand before God and make it right today. That you can step into this journey no matter where you stand in, the, in, in this setting and begin to do so with a clear conscience before the Lord. And so I want you to bow your heads right now, if you would, with this card in your hand. And today you may mark, I want you to mark one of these and everybody's got one. So no, don't look at your spouse with their mark. You're like, oh, they mark that, they hurt me. No, don't do that to yourself. But instead, take the time to be, to be able to just mark down what you need. Fold it in half. You've got to throw it on the floor or lay it on the seat. We'll get it. If you want help, you know, there's different ways to do that. If you want to be bold and just ask for prayer, as the band's playing, the prayer team is going to be up and around the room in various locations. And you may need help because you're struggling, but you may need help because you've tempted people. You may need help because, hey, you know what? I, I wanted, I'm hurt and I just need prayer. Don't think that everybody who gets up today is only struggling. They're not. They may be hurt. And so go to those people, get prayer if you need it. But if you're like, hey, I, want, I need to disclose something. I don't know how to do it privately. I'm kind of afraid to do that. Turn your phone into that place to privately disclose. Use the church, the Olive Branch app. Send in a quick email. Say, hey, I, this is what I'm wrestling with. Our, our Safe Harbor team will get that, and they will be able to help you out and get in contact with you. 
But right now as they play, just think through the lyrics and think through that chart, that list on your hand. And just spend this time with God and allow him to begin to release. Let the confession begin in the house of God here at Olive Branch. And may he be exalted in your life. Go ahead and spend that time.